0: The American citizens, when I got home and they saw how much I was smiling, I was just happy. They're like, man, it must not have been that hard if he's smiling so much. And, you know, my reaction to them was, why can't I be happy now? Why do I have to suffer for two years, come home, and continue to suffer?
1: Yeah, keep suffering, Josh. If it was really bad,
0: keep suffering. (laughs) Well, but sadly, that's kind of the... Nowadays, with everything that's going on, that's kind of the, the mental state that everyone has is, it's, well, if we're suffering, then everyone has to suffer. And there's no way of looking positive into a situation and, and looking for a positive outcome of a situation. And so that, I, think, I think that's the main difference between um, what Tammy and I did because of what we've been taught, not only you know, by our families, but also by our religion and by um, our faith. But that's something that really helped us you know, try to get our feet under us and just move forward in our lives.
1: Before I share with you this episode of the Cultural Hall, I just want to say a huge thanks to everyone who has been sharing the Cultural Hall with neighbors, with friends, other members of their ward or stake, or or maybe just sharing it online. I can tell that you're doing that, and uh, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, Whether it's uh, all of our episodes, maybe you tell someone to subscribe or you just share a particular episode, I want you to know that it makes a difference. Also, the reviews that we've got recently because the episodes have been really great. Some of our best, if not our very best in our entire history. Uh, People are liking it and so I appreciate you taking the opportunity to share it word of mouth, share it online, or just be able to uh, share that review and make it known that you listen to The Cultural Hall. So let's get to it. Let's, let's all listen to this one, shall we? It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It is episode number 422. It is a part two of Josh Holt. He is, uh, well, first of all, very popular, as you already have heard his cell phone go off. Uh, we're keeping him from family and all these things as we needed to get the part two from him. Uh, You can get his entire in-depth story uh, via his podcast, Hope in Darkness. Get it wherever you get the cultural hall and be able to listen along. Um, They're able to spend a lot more time and go in greater depth, but I love being able to get his story in just these two episodes that we've had here in the cultural hall. When last we left you, Josh, uh, you had been told, hey, you get to go home tomorrow. And it was the actual day before you actually got to go home. So let's pick up your story right there.
0: Um, As I said before, we didn't really believe it. Right. It was something that I've been told, had been told multiple times while I was there. And so my wife and I were both kind of like, eh, whatever. And they eventually told us that we had to go get showered. And this was at like 11 o'clock at night. So now, that was, was definitely was the Was
1: the shower thing, I mean, aside from the time, was the ability to be able to shower and to be cleaned up, was that sort of an odd thing too?
0: Um, So the fact that, because um, this is, of course, of course, after the riot happened. And so my wife and I weren't separated now. We were just in the same room together with two guards in a big computer room. And so there was no bathroom, there were no showers. And so at that point, we did have specific times when we were allowed to go to the bathroom and to be able to bathe ourselves. And so at eleven o'clock at night, that's really weird because that's normally when everyone's kind of shutting down, everyone's going to sleep. And so they wouldn't normally like us out and about in the hallways when everyone's trying to to go to bed. Um, so that was a cause for alarm. That was kinda of like, okay, well maybe maybe something really is going on. And uh, we got ready, and I remember I went to um, – his name was Calderon. Uh, that was uh, that was the warden of the prison where we were at. And I went to his office before my wife just because I was ready before her. And he came in, and we were just kind of talking a little bit about his offices and how nice it was because it was basically going from like a, a third-world country mm-hmm. and entering into like – the super nice lawyer office right here, downtown Salt Lake. Like it was amazingly nice. Hmm. And I said, I just walked in and I said, wow, this is really nice. And he goes, yeah, like my stuff to be nice. And I just <laughs> thought, well, why don't, you like the rest of your, why don't you like the rest of your prison to be nice? To you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I talked to him for a minute and then Tammy walked in. I remember she had just gotten done showering and she had washed her hair. And so it was just soaking wet and she started towel soaking it off. I'm just like, wow. We really are out in the open, you know. We were, it was one of those things where being there, you, you really had no privacy and you had no time to to do whatever you wanted and be able to take care of yourself. And so it was just another thing of like, well, maybe we'll be done with this soon. And so we kind of started our meeting with him and Tammy basically said, what I've told you is, you know, we've been told this multiple times and it's just hard to believe. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, have I ever told you? And we both said, no, no, you never told us that. He said, well, when the warden tells you that there's a possible chance you'll be a free tomorrow. He said, I would cling on to that because I don't tell people that. Yeah. And so we did. He said, okay. And he said, you know, tomorrow we need to make sure that you prepare just one bag each for the trip. And I said, you know, I can I can leave right now. I can leave <laughs> everything behind and we'll be fine. <laughs> and he, he laughed just like you did. And uh, after that, it was kind of just – talking with them about um, how they were sorry that this this stuff had happened um, there's this person down in Venezuela he's um, he's known as a drug lord and very very high up in the government and his name is uh, Dios he's uh, very he's known to be very corrupt mm-hmm. and he wasn't happy that I was getting my freedom and so we were kind of talking about that and of course galaron had his number and so I said, why don't you uh, – why don't we send him a voice message and I'll tell him tell him, you know, not to be mad and not to hate me. And so I did. I sent him a voice message. And I said, listen, dude, I know you've been talking nothing but – basically I said, I've been, I know you've been talking nothing but crap on me for the last two years, but don't hate me. I'm a good kid. I've never done anything bad. And you know what? Let bygones be bygones basically. At this point, it's like I just want to get out of here and I want to just live my life and be happy. That seems like a risky move, Man.
1: though, to that, that, that almost on some level seems like you're poking the beehive being like, Hey, uh, they're letting me out and I don't want you to be mad, but you're not like on the plane or on American soil at that point. So like, to me, I hear you say that you make this, this, this voicemail, like that, to, <clears throat> that to me is like, wh- is that the right time to maybe do that? <laughs> that's
0: probably the only time to do it. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, that's. That's uh, that's a very fair comment to make. Which he, you know, I, I could have very well, you know, maybe said something wrong to him. But I felt like I was respectful because, mm-hmm. trust me, there were a lot of worse things that I wanted to say to him <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't say. Um, but, yeah, you know, maybe it, it would have been something that could have been bad. But luckily, at that time, everything had already been taken care of. And I think, anyways, he was trying his hardest to make sure that I didn't leave. Yeah. But – uh, the people that were basically working with the United States government had already said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to get them freed. And no one was going to be allowed to interrupt that, that transaction, if you want to put it Yeah. But well, what what was the exchange. big push?
1: I mean, we talked about this a little bit before. But was there something really just significant, a, a particular politician on the United States side, a shift in thinking or relations with Venezuela that made this like really able to happen or was it just like it sort of evolved and, and the time for you to just not be there was, was up. Um,
0: So it, there was definitely a person, uh, Caleb McCary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was amazing. He, he honestly, without him, without my mom being able to find him, I don't know if we'd ever be able to, to leave that place. And I think it was just the relationships between him and the people in Venezuela that finally secured our release. Uh, he did say that he thought we were, in his words, fried to a crisp after Senator Durbin went to Venezuela, came back, <clears throat> reported to the Congress and basically said that Venezuela is going down the drain, it's socialist country, said a bunch of negative stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, that really made Venezuela mad. And we were on the bridge of getting our freedom at that moment, um, and it ended up taking another four months for us to get our freedom after that. Um, and who and who is and, and who is Caleb? Caleb McCary worked for, and I say worked because after we got our freedom, um, Senator Marco Rubio actually got him fired. Oh wow! He was so mad at the whole situation. Really? That yeah, He really his career basically ended by helping us, hmm. just because some people in the government, you know, didn't want the Venezuelan government to look good. But anyways, Caleb McCary worked for Bob Corker, who is the chairman, who was the chairman for the Foreign Affairs Committee,
1: hmm.
0: and uh, they both actually went down there to receive Tammy and I when we were released.
1: Went down to Venezuela.
0: Yeah, we flew back with them on a private jet.
1: Wow! Wow! So, yeah. so, so what was that like that last night you've gone, you've taken the shower. The the, the warden has said, listen, I'm telling you it's different this time. Did you sleep that night? Was it wh- <laughs> like, what, w- like what was going through the thought knowing at least according to the warden that, Hey, this is, this is freedom. This thing that we've waited two years for.
0: Yeah. You know, I think I did get a little bit of sleep. I didn't get a ton, but I know I got a little, uh, we woke up early and I think we were ready to bounce at like 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we weren't even ushered down to the waiting room until probably 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably the longest wait of my life, um, just sitting there. And we go down, and we're just sitting there. And there were just tons and tons of cars just lined up. Like
1: diplomats and, cars? Uh, or like what, like what, like what's the scene like? Police cars. Okay.
0: Uh, and then there was one red Toyota and that red Toyota belonged to the director of Sabine whose name was Gustavo Lopez. And he was the one that actually came in, received us, told us that we were headed to the airport and we we're going to be going through the presidential gate. Basically where president Maduro leaves, um, to fly around Venezuela or wherever. We we're going to go through his personal gate and, uh, there they'd have a private jet force. Hmm. And so he took Tammy and I into his personal car. He had me go up in the front and he wanted my wife in the back. So he sat that way. And, why, uh, why is that? Is that tradition in country or? Well, I think it was just cause he wanted to talk to me because okay. he did, uh, he did have a lot of respect for, for, for me and having to go through what I had to go through. He said that he knew I was a good boy. Uh, he gave me a lot of stuff he gave me some olympic jerseys he gave me uh his flag off the desk off his desk that he's had on there for 20 years uh, just a bunch of different stuff basically just saying you know here here you go you can't stop at the gift shop to get some stuff for venezuela so you might as well you know here's some stuff do you think <laughs> do you think do you think in a way it was like
1: oh yeah we we are fully aware about how messed up this was and you know, it's it's a much too little, too late kind of thing. But like, you know, the dad, <laughs> basically, that, man, the dad that forgets to get stuff <laughs> when he goes on a work trip and gets to the airport back in the city where he's from, and you know, buys all sorts of like cheap candy bars and 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 things, and says, "Here, here, yeah, you bet these things. Take take these things."
0: Yeah, I you know, and I thought it was weird too because even when I got to the airport and I saw Kayla McCarry, Bob Corker, and The governor of Cada whose name was La Cava, Mm -hmm. they were all there and they kind of greeted us. And he also had a jersey for me with his name on the back of it. (laughs) He signed it and we took a picture of it. And a lot of people were angry that I was smiling, taking a picture, holding his jersey up with him. And a lot of these people don't realize when you're in that situation, you do what you need to do to get out of it. And if I have to take one stupid little picture – yeah. I don't care. Who are, the people, who are the
1: people that are mad? Is it is it Venezuelan citizens or is it yeah. United
0: Okay. Well, but a little bit of both, too, because a lot of the, the American citizens, when I got home and they saw how much I was smiling, I was just happy. They're like, man, it must not have been that hard if he's smiling yeah. so much. Oh, yeah. And, you know, my reaction to them was, why can't I be happy now? Yeah. Why do I have to suffer for two years, come home and continue to suffer?
1: Yeah. Keep like, suffering, just, Josh. If it was really bad. Yeah.
0: Keep suffering. <laughs> well, but sadly, that's kind of the nowadays with everything that's going on. That's kind of the the mental state that everyone has is is well, if we're suffering, then everyone has to suffer. And there's no way of looking positive into a situation and and looking for a positive outcome mm. of a situation. And so that I think I think that's the main difference between um, what Tammy and I did because of what we've been taught not only, you know, by our families, but also by our religion and by um, our faith. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: that's something that really helped us, you know, try to get our feet under us Mm -hmm. and just move forward with our lives.
1: What was that plane ride back? I mean, there you are. It's a private jet. So I imagine, you know, not like your commercial liner. I imagine (laughs) sort of a small and uh, if you thought that the, um, you know, that the warden's office was fancy, I would imagine that this private jet, similar kind of a, a little bit more higher end exquisite
0: kind of th- yeah kind of thing and i had one of the most amazing steaks and asparagus on that plane <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is really? i know it wasn't cooked on there really just, yeah, <laughs> yeah they brought me, and it might have just been because it's been so long since i've had some real food mm-hmm. that i was just like <laughs> this steak's amazing it's microwaved
1: yeah <laughs> It's actually just a pressed hamburger, but you're like, this is the greatest (laughs) steak I've ever had.
0: But, you know, before that plane took off, we were piling ourselves in there and uh, the plane gets to the runway and it starts to take off. And then out of nowhere, I can feel it slowing down. And I look at my wife and I go, oh, no, like he changed his mind. President Maduro called and and changed his mind. They're going to send us back. Just take off. Go, yeah, go, 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 go. Don't look back. <laughs> and uh, we pull off the runway and the pilot comes on and says, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we just forgot to set some of our calibrations oh. um, for our instrument. We forgot to calibrate some of our instruments before we took off, just in all the craziness of, of getting on the plane. So we'll go ahead and calibrate those instruments and then we'll take off again. Oh. And we're just like, oh, man, don't talk about like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Every little part of our escape had to have some little tiny thing into oh it. Oh, my gosh. For real. It was amazing just to be on there, and especially when the pilot came on and said, we're now entering United States airspace like that. I can't explain how that felt. Hmm. Just knowing, like, holy cow, this is all over. I'm home. I'm arriving into our country. And it just, I was just able just to sit down and just relax my seat playing
1: You say it's hard to explain how you felt, but I want to take a break real quick. When we come back in the second block, I want you to do your best to explain what that truly felt like as you become back in uh, American airspace and as you're making your way where you went if you were flying to Utah or Washington, D.C., or what that kind of re-arrival was like. And we'll pick it up there coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. (laughs) Hey, it's me, Richie T, and I want to talk to you about uh, Kimora Tours. Won't you join me on a church history tour? I would love to be your travel companion. Technically, it will be my wife, but you could be on the bus with us. This is part of our 2021. Yes, we're already talking about something like that uh, for next summer. It was uh, supposed to be this summer. In fact, it was supposed to be like a couple weeks from now. It's not. It has been postponed into 2021 so that church sites will be open. We'll be able to see the Hill Kamora in its final pageantry year and also be able to see Nauvoo as well. Would love for you to come with us. These seats are filling up fast, so please do not put it off. Uh, Make sure you go to CumorahTours.org. Kamora just like it sounds, or like the Hill, which we talk about in the church, Tours, just like it sounds, uh, only T-O-U-R-S. It's not tours, like we say. Here in Utah, anyway, uh, KimuraTours.org. Join us uh, and make sure you look for the Cultural Hall banner. We're going, of course, with the folks from Leading Saints, Curt and the Kids. Uh, they'll be along with us as well. So make sure that you click on that tour, that you go on those dates. Uh, that way we can all be on the bus together. The website is Kamoratours.org.
2: Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now, Because at PC Laptops, we're here for you, and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com.
1: If you're loving this, well, two things of advice to do. One, go to patreon.com slash the cultural hall and pledge how much you love it. You can do that in a monetary amount, and that helps future episodes of the Cultural Hall be able to exist. We would love to have you be a Patreon saint. It gets you to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group where other Patreon saints hang out. And also, uh, I would encourage you to check out uh, Hope in Darkness. That is the podcast that uh, features Josh's story in greater depth. I want to make sure that we mention that a bunch because in the first episode, I don't feel like we mentioned it enough. And so, yes, am I trying to make up for past transgressions? You bet. You get into American airspace and you just you finally get to be able to relax for the first time in years, probably.
0: You know, I'm guessing that feeling is probably the feeling that, you know, if you're in college, you're going through finals and you think you're going to fail this test. And by the end of it, you pass every single one. Hmm. Or if you're, you know, trying to get a job, you don't have a job, you've been laid off, you know, how you're going to support your family and you find a job. It's just that overwhelming feeling of happiness. Um, it was a feeling that I that I got after I baptized a family on my mission and watched them as they just hugged. Hmm. Together in a group and you just see the joy that is now in their lives because they just received the full gospel. I'd say that that is the closest I can come to, to explaining just the full warmth and love that I had from within.
1: Hmm. I like that.
0: Um and and also knowing that my wife is no longer gonna be separated, not only from myself but from her from her two children. Like that for her was really hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As I
0: imagine, all you parents out there can imagine. Sure, sure. So a family
1: reunited. Did they fly you into Utah? Did you have to do a tour in D.C. being like, "Hey, everyone, we, you know, we're we're political pawns on some level." I would imagine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's they had to finish their political pawn act with us, so we had to fly in, meet the president. So we flew in, met with the the personal physician of President Trump um we got all suited up i i used someone's suit i don't know whose it was and <laughs> <Really>? uh <laughs>
1: yeah they're like well we hope this fits put this on
0: yeah i was able to keep the tie so i still have the tie at least
1: oh that's cool
0: but uh we got all ready we went into the oval office and we were just sitting there and then all the news people come rushing in taking their pictures sounding all crazy And the president's right there he shook my hand he talked to me for maybe two minutes and then, uh, he did a spill for about 13 minutes about, um, I think it was China that they were fighting me about at that time or something. Yeah. It had nothing to do about me. So I was just kind of sitting there like, <laughs>
2: well, why am I here? This yeah. is stupid.
0: Guys, can I go? <laughs> like he talked to me already. Can
1: I go? Oh, I need to be yeah, here leave? still. That'd be awesome. You can, had my, <laughs> You get up and I walk two out. Minute yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of stuff did he talk to you about in those two
0: minutes? Um, well, it's all recorded. So you can see he talked just about me for two or three minutes, said, you know, what we had gone through, how hard it had been. Um, he said that every single time that Mia loved him, she always was just hounding him about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just happy that, you know, once again, um, him and his administration were able to bring back another, you know, American citizen that was being held hostage from abroad. And, you know, it was, it was cool to be in the Oval Office, even though you know, it was a long you know interview with him and I wasn't able to actually sit down and get to know him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was just a you know quick thing. How many people can say they're in the Oval Office? Like, that would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I shook his hand, too, whether you like him or not. I was able to shake the president's hand. So. Yeah, I mean, there's That's a tremendous amount of
1: respect for whether or not you like the president or not on either side or not, to be able to be in the Oval Office and to meet the leader of the United States and shake his hand and have him talk not only about you, but also to you, that's a pretty awesome experience.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and and it was, uh, which is kind of funny because a lot of people ask me just different questions about him, and I was like, you know, I don't really remember. I had just flown – I just gotten released from from being held hostage for two years, flown on a jet for five to six hours. Then I went through this crazy transition thing just to try to see the president. Then after that, they took us to Walter Reed, which is a military hospital, and that's where we spent uh, three days, as we were just going through different things. Um, what kind of stuff? Tests. Like
1: tests, that thing,
0: that kind of thing. Yeah, tests. Making sure that you know we didn't have anything um, that we were bringing back into the United States. Uh, my wife had some problems. My daughter had some some issues and root canals, and it was just. It wasn't fun. So and, so you know, we,
1: something that I think I missed in, in, in all of this, at what point do your kids join back with you when you guys land here in the United States or because they had been somewhere else while you guys were in Venezuela? Was it they m- sort of met you at the airport? How Where did you get reunited with your kids?
0: So Marion was with us. Um, they re- She came to the airport in Venezuela uh-huh. so that she could leave with Tammy and I. Uh-huh. And um, Natalia was still in Utah at this time with okay. my family. Okay. She was actually there just with my siblings. My parents flew to Washington, D.C. to see me as well. Um, and, that, you know, we didn't even touch on that either. And uh, being reunited with my mom and my dad and Senator Hatch, it was because they had taken us off the airplane. So this is kind of a rewind. Yeah. Rewind. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we get off the plane, the door opens, and they wanted us out first. Everyone had to stay seated they wanted us out first. So we get up and I turn the corner and it was just a line of just police officers. And, um, my heart just kind of sunk. Like I was kind of scared for a second for the past two years, police officers have been bad people. And so I kind of had to, you know, refocus my mind and tell myself, no, Hey, these are good people. These are people that are here to, to support you. And they were just clapping, welcoming us home, taking our bags. Um, then we had to go in and go through the, the process of showing them our visa. They'd given my wife and kid um, just this little humanitarian visa that was only good for a day. Hmm. (laughs) So they were accepting her in, knowing that she was gonna be in illegally. It was was weird, it was the only thing they could do. So they accepted her in, and then from there, they took us into uh, another room where my mom, dad, and Sandra Hatch were. And uh, a lot of people have seen that video footage of course and we'll leave a link for that
1: uh, in the show notes if you haven't seen it you can be able to see that and a link to the president trump um, thing as well
0: um but yeah it was it was great it was hard though staying in the walter reed hospital for three days because i really wanted to see my family um i kind of was upset though that i had to leave washington dc without seeing anything Washington, DC. <laughs> i love it you're like listen
1: guys i'm here i've never yeah. been here before i've been in venezuela will you guys give me a minute and they're like no 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 no, no. nope you got to go to the hospital you got to be quarantined there we got to get you checking out and then we're sending you back home pal so it's not vacation yeah. it's not a government-sponsored <laughs> vacation jeez well sure then <laughs> yeah 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 no I think so too I think it should have been
0: thank you,
1: thank you. was it so was uh, it was it like a true quarantine at the hospital like only a few amount of people being able to see you or were you sort of a spectacle there
0: no no one was allowed to get in there hmm. yeah it was uh I mean it's a military hospital so okay. it's pretty locked down um I had you know right before we left I had a eight-hour interview with a I think it was from the CIA, hmm. but they just said from from the government. And they basically did what they call a detox where we go and basically tell everything from hmm. the beginning to end. And it took me about eight hours wow. just to go through through everything. And that was that was quick too. I wasn't going over details and stuff. And he told me, Hey, you know, we we do stuff like this so that we can train our military better through situations that they may go through. And he said, "The nice thing to hear is that everything you that teach them was was stuff that you did." Hmm. So I said, "Awesome! I didn't have to go through military training, in I past. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and then did he say, "Look oh. into this red light," and then it flashed, and then you weren't able to remember anything from. No, I'm <laughs> A little
0: yeah, bit. Yeah, that's from.
1: Uh, in, what is that from, Men in Black? Yeah, Men that's in Black. Right. Yeah. And your memory is erased. So then, finally, is it Utah Bound? Like Walter Reed yeah, done? Finally. Government person done? Home, coming home. What is that like?
0: Um, it was it was crazy. There were some people on the plane. Obviously we're going back to Utah, so there are a lot of Utah's on the plane. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that walked up and they're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were free. Like, when did you get free? And I was like, yeah. A couple days ago, no <laughs> one knows really. Yeah. And and so like this is awesome, we're gonna fly home with you. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were the ones that were able to, like, go down the escalator and kind of turn around and wait with everyone else in the crowd. Oh, nice. Um, I bet and that... I don't really remember walking up to that crowd because I guess – and this is the other thing that was funny. I didn't realize it, but they actually moved the plane from landing in a normal gate to landing where the international flights come into huh. because there were so many people that were there to support us that there was just no room for people to go get their luggage and to get down the escalator. And so they had to move us to a special facility. And uh, that's where everyone was going. Were, and as were, we came down...
1: Were a lot of but, those people kind of looky-loos, like people that wanted to to be there? Were they like patriotic, maybe family, community? Like who, who, who are all of these people?
0: A lot of them friends, family, people from the community... Uh, I guarantee there are people that were just there, like well, okay, what's going on? This yeah. is crazy. Yeah, but there were a lot of signs, a lot of flags. Um, it was you could tell there were people that knew what was going on. That's uh, cool. I Guarantee there were, you know, the handful that didn't really know what was going on. But I don't really remember that moment a whole lot. I mean, I remember going down and seeing everyone just being, you know, amazed. But I don't remember actually getting off the plane and walking to there. It's just kind of all fuzzy. Interesting. I think there was just my heart was going a thousand miles an hour. I knew I was about to see, you know, Natalia, who's our our youngest daughter, or was our youngest daughter, and my siblings who hadn't seen them forever. I mean, it was just it was just amazing.
1: So as we kind of round out some of these things, some pieces I want to pick up, like what what uh, what did your daughter say? Uh, Both Natalia, the one that was here in Utah. And and the and the other daughter that you're you're finally reunited with, like were they were like, Finally, or was it like, Can we get a popsicle now? You promised me a popsicle <laughs> to you you know, like what, what's what sort of reaction did they have?
0: Well Natalia at the time was seven, I wanna say. And she thought that she was going to pick up grandpa from the airport. Hmm. She didn't even know it was gonna be us, and so when she saw us, she just kinda of froze and started crying and then ran up and grabbed her mom and sister and they were just happy. And, uh, there, there were some video videos that were taken and you could just see Natalia hugging her bigger sister and she just put her head in her, in her chest. And then she'd look up at her again and, and give her <laughs> a kiss and then put her head back on her chest. It was just, just a really cute moment. Just a, just a special moment, a sacred moment that, you know, we'll, we'll always be able to have and hold on to.
1: And we talk about other kind of sacred moments. And I know, um, that, that, um as we kind of talked earlier, the, the opportunity to be married and then that you guys um, were able to go to the temple and be able to be sealed. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that obviously had you not come home from Venezuela, that wouldn't have been an opportunity. If, if it's not too personal, I would be curious to know uh, what that experience was like as you're then home and then able to go and and be sealed together as a family.
0: It was awesome. And Luckily, there was no coronavirus going on, and so I was able to have, you know, all my family, my friends, my mission president was there. Um, It was just an amazing experience to go in there, you know, to see my wife for the first time dressed all in white, and there are my two little daughters, and it was just a feeling that I can never explain. I mean, for all of those that have been through the temple and still in the temple, know you know what's said and just to hear those words and and the funny thing is i had heard it before but i didn't really you know pay close attention to it but this time it was different because it was for me it was for my family and it was hard um you know to hold back the tears to realize that my wife and i had that goal for over two and a half years yeah and we thought it would never happen and then we were just there. We were holding hands. We were in the temple. Everyone was coming up, hugging us, saying congratulations. And it was just, once again, it was one, one of those feelings of just pure happiness, knowing that it was the right thing that we we just done. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't change that for, for anything.
1: And you sort of alluded to this, but there is now more in your family uh, from yeah. from from that time. As we, uh, as we sort of look to where you're at uh, now, tell me a little bit. This has now been a couple years removed since mm-hmm. this. Um, what What is family and life like now?
0: So we, uh, we moved away from my hometown of Riverton, which is, if, if you guys don't know where that's out, it's kind of down by Sandy and Draper area in Salt Lake City. Just a so suburb of Tremont. Salt
1: Lake, essentially. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, we just moved to uh, Tremonton, Utah, which is uh, a tiny town right by uh, Logan, Utah and Brigham City, Utah. Um, we moved up here because we could afford a house here. <laughs> Couldn't afford could a house anywhere else in Utah other than here. <laughs> yeah.
1: And to give you an idea of Tremonton, uh, one of my favorite places in the world is actually in Tremonton, but uh, it's a, uh, and, and hopefully it's going to survive through the coronavirus. And everything with the pandemic. Uh, It is a small town, mom and pop owned shop called The Pie Dump, where you can get, uh, and it actually may technically be in Garland, but they're like sister communities. Um, But you can get a, um, a, like a little dish of gravy and a hot roll for breakfast. Like that's the kind of thing that you can get. You can also get sweet rolls and cinnamon rolls there too. But if you've, I'm surprised, I hope. I hope that you not knowing about it doesn't mean that this place has gone out of business because it was one of the the most delicious. If you're ever in Utah, near Brigham City, Tremont and Logan, it is worth checking out a place called the Pie Dump. It's right by the high school yeah, that's in Garland. Yep, right by the high school there. And you can get a big buttery hot roll and gravy for breakfast. That's the kind of town it is. That's the kind of place. They're size. open but
0: they're closed. Ah,
1: maybe maybe tomorrow, maybe you can get one tomorrow. Um and you've added more kids to your family?
0: Yeah, we just we have a 11-month-old now. She just she'll be turning 11 months tomorrow. And uh man, she is it's amazing to have a baby. I mean, uh, my other two daughters, they're they're amazing. I love them. It's been awesome to see them grow up, but I never saw, you know, for Natalia, I saw from 5 years and up, uh, and for Mari, and it was seven and up. And so I didn't get to see this start of a baby's life mm-hmm. and see how it is and take care of them. And they can't do anything for themselves. And it's just been amazing to see her just progress from, you know, not being able to do anything to now she's walking, running around and saying, "dada." It's It's awesome. It really is. A, it's being here, having our house, living here as a family. Um, we're just grateful. We're grateful for what we have. Um, that we're able to still have jobs and support our family, you know, we, we really are blessed. So, how much,
1: how much of your experiences or conversations within the home do the kids ask you, you know, hey, tell me about being in in the prison, or like, do you say, oh, this this meal is as bad as when we were, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it is it something yeah. that's discussed pretty frequently, or is it something that we we just don't sort of talk about in the whole household?
0: No, we don't we not really ever talk about it. My my daughters go around telling their friend, their friends that, that I'm famous. My dad's famous. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Martin, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh other than that, you know, there's nothing nothing else. It's just out of the ordinary. We're just a normal family. Yeah. Um wife works at a meatpacking factory and I work um, doing construction just until I can figure out how to become a police officer.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I still want to do that. I don't know, but you know, I, I've always wanted to. So hopefully something happens to where I can become a police officer and hopefully people still learn to love them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a difficult time in, in, uh, in the country for police officers right now, for sure. Um, I want to take one more quick break. And when we come back, there's three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you and then I'll let you go be with your family. How does that sound? Sounds good. We'll do that. Coming back in the third block of the cultural hall. When you need creative,
2: affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit Lennondesign.com.
1: Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always reach out to us. We'd love to speak with you about whatever you think would be a great episode of the Cultural Hall. If it's someone you know or someone you can recommend, someone you can contact uh, and then have get in contact with us, the best way to do that is contact at theculturalhall.com or find us at the Cultural Hall on any social media. Uh, we answer those on the daily, if they come in on the daily. Josh, three questions that we ask everyone. The first one that we ask everyone who steps into the Cultural Hall is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Now, I know we're not meeting in church right now, but if we were, do you have a calling?
0: Uh, no, because I just moved um, from South Jordan up to here, we were here for oh, two meetings, three meetings before the whole COVID stuff happened, and so we really don't even know our ward, which is the funny thing. Yeah. um Before we moved up here, my wife and I were primary teachers cool we were nine-year-olds. Okay. So okay. That is that the same
1: age as uh, one of your kids then? Were you one of your yeah, kids?
0: We okay. We're teaching one. we were teaching our oldest.
1: Okay. Uh, the second question that we ask everyone and uh, you can make this up, or you can pick one that already exists, but if you could pick a calling, what would you pick?
0: Wow, this is a bittersweet for me. Okay. Because I would love to be a scout leader.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know but, that there are church-appointed callings, but I know there are still plenty of uh, members of the church that are involved in scouting. We're just not doing it on an official level.
0: Yeah, so... I don't know. Maybe um, helping the young men out—I've always liked that. I think that's what really helped me become the man that I am—is is scouting young men, that type of organization. And I'm not—I'm not familiar with uh, what they're doing now, mm-hmm. but um, maybe it'd be something that would be, be interested. Cool. In helping.
1: Were you an Eagle Scout? Yeah. Oh, there it is. There you go. There it is. See, you wouldn't have made it through Venezuela had you not been an Eagle Scout.
0: Yeah, that's the honest truth. You know, those Eagle Scouts—they can do anything. Uh,
1: and I've heard, you know, the the urban uh, the urban legend, the urban myth that if you're um, uh, an Eagle Scout, that you can make an appointment with the President
0: of the United States. <laughs> You've heard that before, right? You know, can okay, you want to hear something funny? I was um, working at the uh, the data center uh-huh. uh, that was being built in Utah, right across from Camp Williams. And in order to work there, you had to get a uh, – basically this, this big clearance, uh-huh. secret clearance. And we had to fill out a packet that was this big. I mean it was probably – for those of you that are just listening and can't see my hands, uh, it was a good six to ten inches thick. Oh, my gosh. So just papers we had to fill out. At the end of it, you had to do a polygraph test. And wow. when I got there to do my polygraph test, Ah, uh, the lady said, "You're an Eagle Scout," and I said, "Yeah." She said, "You know, I've been doing this because you came from back east." She said, "I've been doing these interviews and tests for over 30 years, and you are only the second person I've ever met that's an Eagle Scout." Well wow. And I just kind of laughed. I was like, "Well, you must not have been in Utah for very long." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, moms across the state helped kids. Right. No, I'm teasing. Everyone always says that their mom is the k- biggest contributing factor to get the Eagle Scout. So shout out to moms. Did she help you? I would imagine Mama no. Holt. No?
0: she. I mean, she's done a lot of things for me in life, but my Eagle Scout wasn't one of them. All right. Good. Good. Good for you.
1: Own that. You got that. Um, yeah. Maybe get involved in scouting the young men's. Sorry, I distracted us way from the end of this. You're like, there was just three questions, Richie. Why are we still talking? The last question is, interpret this however you will, but I would be curious. What is your favorite
0: part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith? um, I would say that the favorite part of my faith is the ability to be forgiven. Hmm. We are not perfect. Uh, We all know that. We all know that we all make mistakes. And we know that this is a time of trials. And we're going to continue to go through trials. I just went through a big trial. And during those trials, we're always going to make mistakes. I know I've made plenty, and I think that the atonement uh, and what Jesus Christ did for us is one of the most impactful things in my life that I've had to go through, uh, accepting the atonement in my life and accepting the responsibility of saying, you know what? I did something wrong, but I can forgive myself because I know Jesus came. Yeah. I like and that. so learning that and and, you know, those people that that study about the atonement know that you never stop learning because it's it's big. It's a it's a big subject.
1: Yeah. I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body and that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And then when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall.
2: Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row. We really gotta go on the culture hall show.